Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and tonight we're going to break down all 12 Week 11 matchups from this Sunday. Fun slate of games. Wasn't exactly you know, the best looking slate going into it, but I think we ended up having a good amount of fun throughout the Sunday slate. Unfortunately, got some injuries, but we'll be going over all that. I've taken the time throughout the day to watch all these games, either live or on NFL Game Pass, condensed after the fact. Try to make notes that you know you won't be necessarily catching in the box score, tracking injuries and what that means moving forward, and also just kind of recapping the matchups with some cool stats along the way. So thank you as always for tuning into the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And without further ado, let's get after it, people. Uh, game number one, we had the Browns defeat the Eagles 22-17. The Cleveland Browns are now sitting at 7-3, and and life is good. With that said, they aren't 7-3 because of their quarterback, Baker Mayfield. It was another game where, you know, we saw a few good strikes when he is able to go back there, stay in rhythm, put his foot in the ground, you know, make the first throw that's available to him. The guy looks great, and that's one of the reasons why he had one of the better rookie seasons we've really seen at the position ever. But, you know, other than a few nice strikes, took a Daryl Hodge, one to Rashard Higgins, that was about it. I mean, ended up with only 204 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, 12 22. Again, not awful. He was making some big plays down the field, but just not the sort of thing we're looking for uh, in fantasy land. I mean, he's honestly just like a less efficient version of Kirk Cousins. They're running the Vikings offense in Cleveland with Kevin Stefanski as their guy, and we're just not getting a rushing floor. We're usually not getting enough pass attempts to provide a passing ceiling, other than the occasional, you know, five touchdown, 300-yard-plus explosion or whatever he had against the Bengals a couple weeks ago. Uh, these are going to be what we're going to be getting more weeks more weeks than that. So, you know, throughout this whole year, we've kind of been on this anti-Baker train in terms of fancy that's not going to change moving forward despite the Browns success on the Eagles side of the ball Carson Wentz man the cries for Jalen Hurts have just gotten louder and louder uh, Peterson did come out after this game and say that no Wentz is still uh, the quarterback for next week and of the future so uh, shout out to ESPN's Bill Barnwell we brought up a really good point about Wentz seems like every single one of his interceptions is like someone tapped the A button instead of pressing it we saw that in this one absolutely brutal pick six trying to lob it out into the flat it looked like he might have gotten hit as he threw which kind of accentuated the just ugliness of the overall pass but either way that was bad and then he capped off the game they weren't going to probably be able to come back anyway but he threw an ugly pick intended for Alshon Jeffrey who couldn't get off the line and to, to be honest I thought that play you know once trying to force it to Jeffrey and just lobbing over his head for Denzel Ward to pick kind of you know helped show the entire Eagles season in one play you know guys that we've seen play better not playing better making a dumb mistake and ultimately just not providing anything close to what we were going to see so you know once as I kind of talked about in my quarterback ranks article last week the really big problem with him lately in Fantasyland, even if he does kind of end up getting things going a little bit better with these weapons, he's just not running right now. And we saw that again in this game. Three carries, only 10 yards. For a while, I mean, it was like this dude was really trying to make, uh, you know, make up for a whole season of disappointments in every single chance he got, uh, you know, going off script. But at least, you know, over these past two weeks with Rager, Goddard and all these guys back in action have not seen that dual threat side of him. 
looking at these backfields for a second. So it was, again, you know, just RB1s all around in Cleveland. I mean, Kareem Hunt played 52% snaps, 14 carries, one target, but Nick Chubb was still in the lead, 46% snaps, 20 carries. I mean, leading overall touches uh, with zero targets. This was Chubb's game. I mean, he had 114 rushing yards, including a 54-yard yard John where he had a nasty stiff arm. Also had a hurdle. I mean, truly, I'm probably going to put together a highlight bit before, I mean, just of this game before too long because Chubb was one of the more impressive games, I think, of the season uh, from a single runner. Kareem Hunt only had 11 y yards on his 13 carries. And again, he only had uh, the one target as well. So definitely wasn't a game where he put together many yards. But he did find his way into the end zone by, you guessed it, jumping over a guy. So both round, both Browns running backs managed to jump over other humans in this game that were trying to prevent them from doing so. Absolutely wild. I'm sorry, but like the hurdle to me is just like the biggest FU, best evasion tactic possible. I even think it's better, you know, trucking someone, spinning, whatever you want to do. If you jump over someone, you know, we'll, we'll look past your 21 uh, total yards otherwise and give you uh, an A for the day. On the Eagles side of the ball, Miles Sanders, 62% snaps, 16 carries, five targets. Boston Scott, a little more than we've seen in the past. 38% uh, snaps, five carries, three targets. I do think if you take away the last couple uh, garbage time drives of the game, it would have been Sanders more in that 70, 75% role. But, you know, this is kind of what he gets. He's the feature back, but we just never quite see those Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, you know, 25, 30 touch games. They seem pretty content to get him to around 15 or 20 and kind of go from there. So, look, he was fine out there. Average 4.1 yards per carry. He lost the fumble early on in the rain. That wasn't ideal, but I mean, it wasn't a situation that I think we could blame Miles all that much. I mean, the Eagles, whenever they're running these screens, just look so hard. Everything in the Eagles offense looked so hard all season. Miles Sanders hasn't really been excluded from that other than some big runs against, uh, I mean, the Ravens and Steelers earlier this year. So, Miles, you know, someone that I had ranked as number four overall running back last week. Going to have to take a little bit of a step back. I thought against this, you know, Miles Garrett list, Browns defense, he can get going. But on the Seagulls offense, really nothing is a given these days. Uh, looking at these wide receivers, mentioned before in the Browns, I mean, only guys that really got going, Kadero Hodge with 73 yards, Higgins with 65 yards. But when no one on our team is going to have more than five targets, it's going to be hard to do much. At least in Minnesota, you know, Kirk Cousins, he's feeding those guys fantasy-friendly downfield targets, and they're just really talented wide receivers. But in Cleveland, even someone like Jarvis Landry, it's going to be tough to you know, fire up any of these wide receivers as realistic top 36 options moving forward. With the Eagles, Dallas Goddard was able to get a late game touchdown. Good to see for those of us that have been ranking him as a top five tight end. We will continue to do so. It was, again, not fluky. He scored, but it wasn't garbage time. We did see Richard Rodgers score uh, before that, but make no mistake about it. I mean, Goddard is the undisputed number one tight end in Philly as long as Zach Ertz is out, and I think we can continue to go back to the well with him as a high upside tight end one. Jalen Rager was the only other guy with over 50 receiving yards, and, you know, he only had five targets, so these situations are crowded. Travis Fulham caught just one of seven targets. But, you know, as soon as one starts to kind of look like he's up to no good. And, hey, what are you doing back there, Carson? Usually he does throw the ball in Fulham's direction. So we'll see what happens. I mean, Alshon still isn't significantly involved. You would like to think as his passing game clicks at some point that, that you know, Goddard, Fulham, and Rager could be, you know, somewhat fancy relevant assets. But here we are, you know, going into week 12, everybody. And we're pretty much still like, you know, when, when can Wentz and company take a step forward? So schedule doesn't get all that much easier moving forward. Uh, it's just you know, realizing that we even though we are talking about the first place Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC East, uh, got to realize that this is just a lower floor offense than I think any of us could have imagined going into the year. So uh, for each matchup, I do want to bring up, uh, you know, a PFF Lily stat. And for those that don't know, PFF Lily is my 25-pound wiener dog. She is really bad at picking football games, but I enjoy her company, so I like to give her a little shout-out with this. So our PFF Lily stat of the matchup is that since 2018, there have been 71 players with at least 150 rush attempts. Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry are the only players averaging at least 
plays four yards after contact per attempt. And Nick Chubb is at 4.1 yards. Derrick Henry exactly at four. And also, again, just among those 71 players, Nick Chubb has PFF's highest rushing grade since entering the league. I mean, I think they came out. Look, I just joined PFF in July, but I'm pretty sure my lovely employer came out uh, in the summer or spring saying that Chubb was just the best running back in the league with the ball in his hands. He has certainly looked that way when healthy in 2020. Next matchup, we got the Titans and the Ravens. Titans took down the uh, defending AFC North champs again, 32-24, versus 24 points. A little bit confusing there. My bad, everybody. Uh, With this Titans offense, it was chippy from the start. I mean, we had, uh, I think it was Malcolm Butler, maybe, barking with uh, Harbaugh before the game. A.J. Brown was out there. It was one of the smaller cornerbacks, but you know what? They talked that ish, and they went out, and they uh, backed it up. Credit to Ryan Tannehill for largely playing great again. Didn't seem like he was forcing it downfield quite as often, but, you know, 22 for 31, 259 yards, pair of scores, threw one really ill-advised pick early, but that was really the only big mistake he made. Only took two sacks on a performance. We all know the Ravens are, you know, one of the more tougher defenses to play against. So the fact he was able to go for over 250 yards, multiple scores, and chip in 35 yards on the ground, awesome floor game for those that, you know, were willing to stick uh, to him. And honestly, it wasn't really, I mean, his fault. He could have had a bigger performance. A.J. Brown, you know, we'll get to him in a second, but he had a couple drops early on that weren't helping. And I just think that, you know, more times than not, we will see Tannehill have even better efficiency than he had out, had, uh, out there on Sunday. For the Ravens, Lamar Jackson. It was a rough one, everybody. 17 for 29, 186 yards, touchdown a pick, did chip in 51 rushing yards, but had Marquise Brown for a potential 30-plus yard touchdown, just missed him. Had Mark Andrews for a potential uh, touchdown inside uh, the red zone. Was able to get uh, Andrews one later, but just more missed opportunities. And I'm not trying to say Lamar went out there the whole game and didn't make some great throws. He truly did. I mean, the touchdown to Andrews from 31 yards out was absolutely beautiful. Kind of adjusted him, throwing it over the correct shoulder to lead him away from the defender. Like, great stuff. Had another one down the middle to Andrews that just showed some great touch. I mean, he can make all the throws on the field. It's not even a matter of that. It's just how consistently can he make them, which I understand. Massive part about playing quarterback. But, you know, as we've kind of preached all year on here, I mean, just just remember to take a look at Lamar Jackson, you know, not just as himself, but as his whole offense. I mean, one of the stats I talked about in our Sunday uh, morning show with the Ravens uh, this year that uh, Lamar Jackson... Going in this game had the exact same average time to release as he did in 2019, 2.76 seconds. But this year, at least going to Sunday, he was under pressure on 36.9% of his dropbacks, just 30.9% in 2019. So they're not keeping him as clean, even though he's largely been the same guy in terms of getting the ball out on time. He hasn't been quite as prolific as a rusher, and we just haven't really seen much help. I mean, look, Des Bryant was out there running around. I love Des more than anybody, but the fact the Ravens just weren't able to add anybody to his receiving uh, crew throughout the entire offseason... I think that's the biggest problem more so than any just regression from Lamar Jackson as a true passer. Good news out of the Ravens' backfield, though. It looks like J.K. Dobbins has been freed, everybody. 63% snaps, 15 carries, 2 targets. We had Gus Edwards down 21%, 3 carries, no targets. Justice Hill played 11% snaps. And Mark Ingram sitting down there at 8% with just 2 carries. They pretty much gave Ingram his start, 2 carries, 2 yards, and got the old dog out of there. It looks like the J.K. Dobbins show, and as it should be. I mean, look, all season long, Dobbins has been the superior Ravens back. They've been treating him as the lead pass down back recently, but this was the first time that we really saw them brush 
aside Gus Edwards, brush aside Mark Ingram and let their guy go. And just realizing, I know this was a 14-10 game in favor of the Ravens at halftime, and then it was 21-13 by end of the third quarter. I mean, look, the Titans made it interesting in the fourth and ultimately won it. They did more than make it interesting, but Dobbins, you know, was the lead back in a game that wasn't just straight up negative game script. It's similar to when DeAndre Swift took over uh, last week. Unfortunately, the concussion thing prevented an encore, but, you know, we've seen pass down backs at times have these big games when game script just goes perfectly. This game script really didn't go as well as we would have ideally wanted it to for Dobbins. He still managed to break out anyway, so it's about time, and Ravens are a smart organization. I think we all figured this would happen at some point. It does seem like it has happened now, so J.K. Dobbins with this sort of role, he's going to be a weekly top 20 option at the position, and I think it's going to be hard to keep him out of the top 15 once it comes time to make the ranks. Uh, with the Titans, yeah, what more can you say about the big dog, Derrick Henry, walk off 29-yard touchdown to ice the game, 28 carries, 133 yards, actually played 79% of the Titans snaps. Usually he's someone that we see more in that 50-60% range, and we're annoyed. Still only had two targets, but it was a step in the right direction after he really wasn't getting fed anything in the passing game in recent weeks, so... We still saw Jeremy McNichols out there for a few snaps. Deontay Foreman uh, had one carry, but look, it's the Derrick Henry backfield. We know this. Winter is coming. Expect more and more big performances from Derrick Henry moving forward. Love watching that guy play. Uh, quickly with these passing games, yeah, Mark Andrews, great game. Caught uh, five of his team high, seven targets for 96 yards and a score without Boyle and just without this passing game really having anyone else to turn to. Continue to treat him as the number three tight end in fantasy behind only Kelsey and Darren Waller as long as George Kittle remains sidelined. Yeah, Des Bryant, four catches, 20 yards look Dez is not on the fancy radar I get it but I just love this guy in terms of just the competitor he's been some of the big plays he made for the Cowboys over the years and just the fact that he was able to come back from that Achilles come back from you know an injury that has ended many a career over the years I'm just happy Dez got out there on the field got a catch and we were able to unironically say that Dez caught it once again Uh, Marquise Brown unfortunately uh, had the goose egg mentioned before you know he had the uh, overthrow uh, on Lamar Jackson I will say you know that's happened a lot this year I had a you know video go semi-viral on Twitter of about five overthrows to Marquise Brown from earlier in the season that could have been touchdowns. But I will say in recent weeks, I mean, other than the throw uh, today, you know, it has been a little bit tougher to blame Lamar on this. Marquise Brown did drop a pass that hit him in the chest and it would have been good for about 15 yards. So again, Lamar hasn't played perfect, but his uh, teammates haven't been making this job as easy as we saw in 2019 as well. Now for the main event, everybody, the Titans wide receiver room. Uh, credit Corey Davis catching five of seven targets for 113 yards, but enough of that. A.J. Brown had the biggest beast mode freaking play, arguably, of the season. I mean, it was a situation where third and ten, they needed a play. They were down, you know, trying to just tie the game up or just get ahead in the fourth quarter. Uh, Tannehill throws about five, six yard in route to A.J. Brown. Breaks no less than three tackles as he pushes his way into the end zone somehow. Absolutely incredible play from A.J. Brown. This was coming after, I mean, he only had one catch, I think, by the beginning of the fourth quarter. He, he broke tackles on all four of his catches, like truly, or okay, not the last one, he was going out of bounds, but first three catches, breaking tackles, looking like the beast, looking like the guy that I hype up every single time I'm talking to you about the Titans and, you know, ultimately was able to find his way into the end zone. So, you know, m- much more roller coaster of a game uh, than it, w- it was to watch live and if you just peep the uh, final box score at the end, but, you know, another week, and I don't know if he'll finish as a top 12 wide receiver per, per se, but but you guys can clearly see why we continue to go on the AG, AGB wide receiver one train. I was talking to uh, Evan Silva, uh, you know, awesome guy who established a run probably the goat in the fantasy football industry uh, right now, just uh, last week. And I, you know, okay, I, I had a couple glasses of sheesh. I was feeling a nice little buzz. And I just asked Evan, I was like, can A.J. Brown be like the best wide receiver in the NFL within three years? And Evan's response was that he's Terrell Owens. 
Love that comp. Love AJ Brown. We will see what more this special player has ahead. Of course, our PFF Lily matchup stat is about AJ Brown. So look, since 2019, here are the leaders. Most for, most uh, forced missed tackles on receptions, not including carries, just receptions. AJ Brown with 30. Alvin Kamara with 30. They're tied for first, everyone. We got Austin Eckler at 28. Kareem Hunt, 28. Christian McCaffrey, 28. But AJ freaking Brown has been the hardest guy in the league to bring down after the catch over these past two years. And then bonus note from uh, PFF Steve, AJ Brown for seven missed tackles against the Ravens. That is the most in a game from a wide receiver. And just, I think in terms of just receiving uh, since Odell Beckham Jr. in week 16 of 2016. So truly seeing special stuff from AJ Brown week in and week out, even when things don't come as easily as we would prefer. Next matchup, we got the Texans defeating the Patriots 27 to 20. This was a fun game. You know, Cam Newton and company, they've come a long way from just being, you know, truly an unwatchable offense for a certain stretches of the season. So it's been good to see that, even if this result was didn't go the way they wanted to. But, you know, give all the credit in the world to Deshaun Watson. I thought it was probably the best game of the season for him. I mean, there was just so much off-script goodness again and again and again. The, you know, Patriots weren't even able to sack Watson once. I mean, he's usually a guy that we see take a good amount of sacks almost every single week week similar to Russell Wilson I mean he's taking the sacks because he's trying to make something spectacular happen and a good amount of the time he does make something spectacular happen so you know it's a willing negative you're uh, you know okay taken because of the overwhelming positive that we can also get from that situation of him trying to extend the play so no turnovers no sacks absolutely brilliant this was with Stefan Gilmore back for the Patriots so you know at the end of the day Watson had 344 passing yards two touchdowns also chipped in 36 yards and another score on the ground and he had a touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks nullified on a penalty that was another fantastic throw. So truly, I mean, this was just one of those games. As I'm rewatching these games, I'm always kind of taking notes. So specific plays I think might look cool in all 22. Watson had a freaking laundry list of those this week, man. I mean, he was just going out there, you know, making one or two guys miss and just finding his receivers afterwards. So ended up seeing, you know, more than more than a few guys get involved and, you know, brought up the stat, uh, you know, on past episodes. But the biggest difference in this Deshaun Watson in 2020 versus in the past with DeAndre Hopkins, he's just getting the ball out quicker to his first read. I mean, he has talented guys around him and not that he hasn't still been great after not throwing to his first read but I just think the more that a quarterback is able to both, you know, defeat a defense, you know, in, in under 2.5 seconds and over 2.5 seconds, those are usually the kind of time frames that PFF uses to judge this sort of stuff. Obviously, the better when you can impact the defense just as strongly in both ways, and that's what Deshaun Watson has done throughout the 2020 season. Uh, with Cam Newton, he made a you know, number of nice downfield throws as well. His stat line's a little bit inflated. I mean, 365 passing yards and a score because Ryan Izzo caught a 50-yard Hail Mary at the end of the game that was unfortunately short of the end zone. Uh, but still, I mean, you take away that 50 yards and we're still talking, we're still talking uh, 315 yards through the air from Cam. Again, in a passing game that we just didn't even know if they could consistently move the ball a couple weeks ago. So it was a Demir Bird game. And, you know, it's good that we actually have a couple receivers stepping up a little bit. But honestly, with Cam, it's just so tough right now. I mean, this Patriots team truly, I think, has, you know, anyone's idea of a bottom 10 roster in the league just in terms of pure talent. Not on them. It's just, you know, they had a bunch of opt-outs. They've been playing at such a high level I don't think they've had you know the high-end draft picks the high-end draft success that you know anyone has been hoping for and because of that we have this roster so Patriots you know four and six but just remember you know I think other than that 49ers game they've pretty much been in almost every single uh, loss they've had this year so hey NFL is a very competitive league I understand we can you know play hindsight doctor and go through a lot of these teams but truly the Patriots I mean you think about uh, okay they got blown up by the Chiefs too but that was without Cam but you know you go back to that Seahawks game the Bills fumble uh, the Broncos game where Cam was you know 
one throw away from being inside the 10. And this one where, okay, you know, it was a Hail Mary. I'm not saying that it was, you know, a very likely play to happen. But just realize, you know, Patriots are not quite as bad as that 4-6 and six record might be indicating. Uh, looking at these backfields, so with the Patriots, Rex Burkhead suffered a knee injury. And because of that, we saw James White really lead the way 58%. Um, snap rate for him on the on the evening five ca- five carries seven targets Damon Harris led the way 38% snaps 11 carries two targets the biggest takeaway was that Sony Michelle was actually a healthy scratch but I wonder if Rex Burkhead is going to be out if they're just going to bring back Sony so you know with this thinking it was James White Damon Harris and Rex that was great news for Damon Harris I mean I pivoted you know to Harris and like almost all my DFS lineups after hearing that news because this was just the perfect matchup to really envision him going uh, you know for 20 plus carries didn't quite work out that way you know Texans were able to build you know a bigger early lead I think than uh, most including myself uh, expected from him but either way I mean Damon Harris and positive game script as long as Sony is inactive he's going to be you know, on that RB2 borderline depending on the matchup the problem is if Sony's going to come back I mean Sony's going to eat more into Damon Harris's rushing workload than he is James White's receiving workload so James White he's good either way we've seen him return consistent RB2 value when Rex Burkhead has been sidelined over the years if James White is available in your fantasy league go get him because the Patriots have already had enough issues throwing the ball we've seen him keep Rex and James White still involved throughout that but truly Rex and James if either the other misses time uh, the one that is healthy usually balls out so don't be afraid to go back to well there Duke Johnson trained uh, hit another bump, people. 77% snaps this week. You know, it was a bit of a bump off his 94% rate from last week. 10 carries, 5 targets. Unfortunately, had 15 rushing yards and 20 receiving yards. CJ Pro size, 3 carries, 2 targets. Yeah, I mean, he got shut the hell down. There was nothing good about it. Last week, I at least had a couple runs I can kind of point to as being good. But yeah, Duke couldn't do anything. CJ Pro size couldn't do anything. Texans run game, I earned Deshaun Watson, couldn't do anything. And maybe that was just the focus of the Patriots. And that's why, you know, Watson and company were able to throw the ball uh, through the air. But the problem with Duke, and we saw this with David throughout the first part of the season is that even if they are kind of getting this steady workload, uh, the Texans, as fancy friendly of a quarterback as Deshaun Watson might be in terms of putting up points, he's got this kind of Josh Allen to him where he's throwing downfield, he's not really checking down, and he's also taking off, you know, around the goal line much more than we would want a quarterback to do. And we'd rather them, you know, throw the ball to the running back or hand it off to him. There was the play where Deshaun Watson scored his rushing touchdown, and you could see. And look, the quarterbacks have their progressions. I understand we can't just point to an open wide receiver every time but you know you saw Duke work the linebacker get open in the flat Deshaun looks elsewhere and goes and makes a play so I get it you know I'm better Duke has not been playing well I'm taking the L on this everybody you know definitely going to be tough to rank him in the top 15 top 16 moving forward like I have but Thanksgiving coming up, facing the Lions. It's going to be Duke for another week. I mean, this Lions defense going into this week was the single worst defense in the league in fantasy points per game. We just saw similarly disappointed running back uh, Mike Davis get going against them uh, in this game, more on him in a bit. So I will say Duke Johnson, I'm going back to the RB2 well for another week, but I admit, you know, all my barking over the offseason about Duke uh, being this awesome three-down RB that just hasn't been released. Well, I'm not going to take away anything from him over the past few years. Certainly has not performed well at all in 2020. Quickly looking at these wide receivers with Houston. Mentioned Brandon Cooks had that nullified touchdown, but four catches, 85 yards, uh, no scores otherwise. Another great game. You look at Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller since Bill O'Brien has gotten fired. Fuller's found the end zone more often, but Cooks has honestly been more involved uh, on a per-reception, per-yard basis. He's going to be in good matchups like he has ahead uh, against the Lions. Brandon Cooks is going to be on that wide receiver two borderline. Will Fuller, though, it's always always Will Fuller week. We know that. Started a little bit slow, but ended up with six catches, 480 yards. Also at tight end, George Aikens, or Jordan Aikens, excuse me five catches 83 yards so nobody else had over 30 uh, yards Randall Cobb actually suffered a 
um, toe injury. Kenny Stills suffered a quad injury. So this is good. This could even condense things further around uh, Cooks and Fuller moving forward. You know, Fuller's someone we've been ranking in the top 15 all season long. We're continuing to do so. And then, uh, you know, for Cooks, he's someone that's been steadily rising. And I think we can treat with extra high confidence, you know, as long as Cobb and Stills are going to be banged up uh, with the Patriots. You had Demir Bird, six catches, 132 yards, and a score, a uh, 42-yard bomb for a touchdown. That was a nice throw from Cam. And he started off some good ball tracking ability. I mean, we know Demir Bird can fly. It's just can do the other things that, you know, it takes to be a great wide receiver. Certainly looked better this week. And, you know, we've seen him make a couple better plays over the past few weeks, too. He had a nice uh, yak play specifically last week that uh, caught my attention. Because other than that, it's just been the Jacoby Myers show. So he only had three targets in this one. You know, I think he was seeing a lot of Bradley Roby throughout the evening or throughout the afternoon. So maybe that has something to do with it. But either way, you know, we were kind of getting around to him as a borderline wide receiver, too. And, you know, Cooks. I think moving forward, like we should be looking to play someone like Cooks, even if Jacoby Myers might have a slightly higher, you know, per game target outlook. We got to realize that, you know, anyone attached to this Patriots passing game, while it's been looking better in recent weeks, we do have a low weekly floor no matter who you are. And that does include Jacoby Myers. PFF Lily matchup stat of the game because I'm a little bit bitter about Duke Johnson. Most forced missed tackles per rush since 2018 among 71 players with at least 150 rush attempts. In first, play, in first place is Duke mother freaking Johnson at 0.25. Forced missed tackles per rush. Josh Jacobs and Kareem Hunt are tied for two at 0.24. So look, Duke has not been good in 2020, people, but please trust me when I say, you know, when I'm out here touting someone and telling you to play someone and, you know, I'm really not trying to blow hot air up to you. I'm trying to Condense the information, learn from the information, take take you know good stats from the film that represent what the film is showing and go from there. So truly, Duke Johnson has been making all sorts of dudes miss for the better part of the last three years. The problem is that those uh, you know three years I'm referencing haven't been quite as good over the past two weeks. Next game, we got the Steelers defeating the Jacksonville Jaguars. Just another just uh, smash spot for the Steelers here. Uh, 27-2-3. So good game from Pittsburgh. I mean, look, they continue to win and we can say what we well about their offense not being as dominant as we prefer and maybe their defense you know, just having a few holes that a better opponent could take advantage of. I'm not sure if anyone's complaining about that as much, but, you know, win is a win is a win, and they have 10 of them and zero losses this year. So credit to Big Ben, you know, for really just airing it out again in a matchup that didn't even need it. I mean, Pittsburgh had a 17-3 lead at halftime, could have easily, you know, ridden James Conner more, who was averaging 6.8 yards per carry. Nope. Second straight week that Big Ben had 46 pass attempts and a pretty clear blowout win. We continue to see, you know, a low yards per attempt, a low average target that Big Ben, you know, has the lowest average target death of his career pretty much unless he's throwing to chase Claypool that ball is not going further than 15 yards downfield more times than not but as long as he's throwing this much we we have touchdown upside which we've seen from him all season long just racking up the multi-score games and also it's just good for the wide receivers so Ben it's going to be a situation where we know there's no rushing floor. We know the upside isn't quite what it was in past years, but at this point, he's a borderline QB1 at worst, I think, in most matchups. On the Jaguars side of the ball, yeah, Jake Luton. I mean, this was an impossible spot. I mean, Gardner Minshew here, I don't think we could have expected much more, but, you know, whatever you want to call it, 16 for 37, 151 yards, no touchdowns, four interceptions. You know, if every single pick wasn't his fault, I mean, a good two or three of them were at a minimum. So I would put the majority of them on his shoulders. And yeah, this is just a rough one for Jaguars offense. 
offense as a whole. Saw a couple nice plays from James Robinson, but better just to forget this one. Luton's someone that we can hope will enable DJ Chark. He's continuing to treat DJ Chark as the, you know, the undisputed number one wide receiver in Jacksonville. And we saw that again today with eight targets. But, you know, we got DJ Chark as that wide receiver one that in fantasy land is going to always kind of be around that top 18, the top 24 option, depending on the matchup. And we got James RB1 son, who has been an RB1 all season long. And this game, even though, you know, it wasn't great for him, still had 19 uh, total touches for uh, 94 scoreless yards and was breaking some tackles all along the way. Again, this guy is legit good. Uh, so go back to James Robinson well. We're starting him regardless of the matchup. DJ Chark is someone else we can have confidence in, and that's all I'm talking about for the rest of this podcast about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, with this Pittsburgh Steelers backfield, though, James Conner has 68% snaps, 13 carries, three targets. It's just been this way all year. I mean, Benny Snell had seven carries. A lot of those were just kind of mop-up time. He did steal away the goal line touchdown, but you know, don't let someone saying that you know Benny Snell like you look at this throughout the year and just Connor being hurt earlier in the season like I, I just get mad sometimes when we see these inside the five yard line stats and it's like someone you know someone will say that James Connor isn't the Steelers like lead uh, goal line back like he's their lead back and when they get down inside the five yard line unless he's really tired there's a stoppage of play he's going to be getting those carries this doesn't even make sense like we know James Connor is this big body guy remember that freaking picture in the offseason of his back like if, if it was a smaller scat back guy okay maybe Maybe we could talk ourselves into that. But you know, just make sure you're looking at the disparity of these carries. Because while Benny Snell does get some run down there, they don't mind him in short yards. He would be the preferred addition if Connors go down. And I think he would you know, be leading the team in uh, just carries per week. But, you know, it's James Conner as the feature guy and run, pass, and goal line downs, you know, just more times than not. Just because Benny Snell might get a goal line carry here or there doesn't mean he is their goal line back all of a sudden. With these wide receivers, Deontay Johnson continues to make his name as the number one. 16 targets, caught 12 of them for 111 yards. Chase Claypool had a score in 59 yards in his eight targets. Juju Smith-Schuster just had four catches for 19 yards and suffered a toe injury at the end of the game when he uh, unfortunately stepped on a flag. So I guess the broadcast booth was saying that, you know, he could have returned if he needed to, but he was limping on the sidelines. So as a guy that's, you know, been dealing with that knee injury all season long, he started to look healthier in recent weeks. But, uh, you know, we've continued to treat him as really a number three wide receiver in this passing game and this injury is not going to help matters there so Deontay we know he's the number one he's gonna be a top 15 top 16 uh, wide receiver on a weekly basis and Claypool I mean he's not getting as many targets as Deontay but he is getting the most fantasy friendly targets of this offense in the red zone down the field Chase Claypool is someone that I think as we see Juju maybe just shrink shrink more and more as kind of the uh, clear-cut number three receiver in this offense Claypool is someone that's going to be start you know banging on the door weekly of that uh, top 24 you know wide receiver two range uh, also shout out Eric Ebron four catches 36 yards and a score he's playing out there almost every single time and you know had a tight end position that has been you know more volatile than just about any other one in fantasy football this year and years past uh, you can do worse than having someone like Ebron a talented pass catcher in this sort of offense I've seen the you know little girl dropping the ball meme with Ebron over the years but like Nelson Aguilar you know you can you can improve you're allowed to improve you're allowed to get better I think that's what we've seen from Eric Ebron uh, in recent history Okay, want to talk about our PFF Lily stat of the matchup for this one, and it does involve Deontay Johnson. So he has six games this year not impacted by any injury of some sort. In those games, he's gone six catches, 57 yards, eight catches, 92 yards, and a score, nine catches, 80 yards, and two scores, six catches, 77 yards, six catches, 116 yards, and a score, and most recently, 12 catches for 111 yards, at least 10 targets every single time. Deontay Johnson, while he's not, you know, the 2018 AB, the 2018 Juju 
situation we were hoping for. Anyone's idea of an upside wide receiver too that, you know, moving forward, it wouldn't be shocking at all if he does rank as a true fantasy wide receiver one down the stretch. Uh, next matchup here, we had the Washington football team defeat the Cincinnati Bengals 20-9. to Man, Joe Burrow, QB1 season is unfortunately over. He suffered a torn ACL in his left knee and will be done for the season. It sucks. And, you know, the Bengals, I think, deserve not credit, the opposite of credit for, I mean, their kind of strategy with Burrow this year. Going into this game, he led the league in dropbacks. We have seen all year long, you know, they faced the Chargers, the Steelers, the Ravens. When they faced a good pass rush, you know, it, it was so concerning, and we just couldn't see them keep Burrow upright. Now, there's a difference between, you know, a quarterback facing pressure because they can't identify the, you know, the reads that can't set their offensive lineup for success, and, you know, they're just holding on the ball too long. Burrow had, was tied for the 11th quickest release time going into this week, so he was someone that that, you know, if you just took the pressure rate of their, you know, if you if you looked at quarterbacks that had really, you know, high pressure rates, but also low release times, like Burrow is like popping to the top of the list uh, when you're trying to kind of, again, isolate how much of the pressure is on the offensive line, how much of it is on the quarterback. So for them to know this and just continuously not even try to run the ball, like, look, I understand it's 2020, we want to pass the ball more often, but the Bengals are 2-7-1. I don't think they ever dreamed of contending this year. Like, trying to keep your quarterback a little more upright, because if it wasn't going to be on this hit who knows when it was going to be because earlier in the game I mean Burrow got absolutely killed by Chase Young trying to score at the goal line it was a fourth and goal he's a competitor he was trying to go score I mean I'm not I'm not even saying Burroughs, this is on him, like trying to take better care of himself. I mean, I think he has actually gotten better or was getting better as the season went on of, you know, knowing when to really try to create something off script and when to, you know, take your losses and just take the sack because you're not going to be able to do anything against some of these defensive linemen. So it was just a situation all year where Burrow, I thought, made the most of his surrounding parts. But, you know, running A.J. Green's dusty stealth uh, out there again and again, not even trying to get John Ross or Auden Tate uh, going with this offense, like they just never really seem to change much from week one on and it was Burrow you know week two or whatever he threw 61 pass attempts against the Browns and it just never changed they just kept going back to the well with it and asking him to drop back you know almost every single time and hey you know he made the most out of it and particularly in fantasy land we love that volume and he was good enough to you know also give us a little rushing floor so Great overall rookie season, I think, from Burrow. He exceeded my expectations given the situation. Just disappointing that, you know, the Bengals couldn't do a little bit more to help their future franchise QB. Best of luck to Joe in his recovery from this injury. It will be the Ryan Finley show moving forward. And, I mean, look, this game was awful enough. Uh, you know, three for 10, 30 yards with a pick and four sacks. I mean, last year was just on another level of bad. If we want to talk about truly the single worst quarterback over the past two years, I do think it would have to be Ryan Finley from both, you know, statistics and hashtag watch the film uh, standard. Alex Smith, this was the Alex Smith that I think we were hoping to get and that the Washington football team was hoping to put under center once they made the move from Dwayne Haskins. His first two games, he was erratic. He was turning the ball over. He wasn't even trying to push the ball downfield. Again, last week, you know, we talked about that fourth and 13. That's when things seemed to flip a switch. He only threw the ball 25 times today, so we weren't going to see him, you know, racking up 50-plus pass attempts again. And last week, I mean, again, it wasn't like he was just completely shredding the Lions defense, uh, you know, with pure efficiency or anything like that. But in this game, again, 17 or 25, 166 yards, touchdown, one interception that was tipped in the line of scrimmage. Can't really blame him for that. Two sacks, but he only lost five yards on them. So, you know, took two deep shots to Terry McLaurin, otherwise calm, cool, collected game manager that did not, you know, make any mistakes to really hurt his team. So, hey, they're not going to be playing the Bengals every week. I don't expect the Washington football team to be competitive when they have to play some better teams. But at a minimum, Alex Smith has made this offense a functioning unit that can, you know, move up and down the field 
field more times than not against middling defenses. So kudos to the 2020 comeback player of the year there with these backfields. Everyone, Antonio Gibson outsnapped J.D. McKissick by one snap. So, you know, still a two-back backfield, and this was a game script where we would expect Antonio Gibson to lead the way with, you know, Washington uh, being up for the majority of the second half in style. But, yeah, and Antonio Gibson continued to look great. 16 carries, 94 yards, and a score. Also chipped in uh, one catch for 10 yards. And McKissick, we just didn't see the same sort of involvement as a receiver. Uh, six carries, 43 yards, and only three catches for 26 yards on just four targets. We're talking about the most targeted player in football over the previous two weeks in J.D. McKissick, and that was not the case here so you know i've had to throw up making my rankings over the past few weeks putting mckissick one spot ahead of gibson that will be changing you know we got gibson's just already high carry for him we've talked about this throughout the process it was never like gibson became this irrelevant fancy asset the reason for the frustration with mckissick all year long has been the reality that if gibson had this sort of extra target share attached to his current workload we would truly be talking about you know the dc version of cmc he's got the coach he had the quarterback now we just need that workload so we'll see not you know a full-on takeover isn't imminent by any stretch of the imagination, but 15 to 20, you know, touches for Gibson inside of an inside of an improving Washington football team offense. We will take that. Next up with the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, Gibson's going to be, you know, in that higher end uh, RB2 range. You do love to see it, everybody. With the Bengals, Giovanni Bernard, 56% snaps, nine carries, five targets. Samaje Piran, 44% snaps, five carries, one target. This is a little, little, little puzzling. Uh, you know, this was a game where they were playing from behind, uh, you know, and for most of the second half. So because of that, uh, you know, you would have thought that Gio really would have dominated the snaps, but could have also just been kind of a, you know, last drive or two garbage time that we saw take Gio down from his usual, you know, 65, 70% mark. I actually talked to a uh, Lions, or excuse me, not Lions, a Bengals beat writer, Tyler Dragon, uh, over this past weekend. You can catch me on Sirius XM Radio on their fancy sports channel every 5 to uh, 7 p.m. And usually we can get a beat writer on there. And I asked Tyler Dragon, like, do you think as the Bengals become less competitive, could we see P. Ryan or even Travion Williams kind of take control of this backfield? He said no. He said Giovanni Bernardo will remain the lead back and just get spelled on early downs. So, you know, I was just thinking veteran guy. They know what they have in Giovanni Bernard. Lost season. Why continue to, you know, pout, pout on these touches? Sounds like, you know, from our inner source, that will not be the case. So we'll see. I'm going to trust what the snap counts and stuff tell us over, you know, what one conversation is as the game goes on. But uh, tentatively, even with Ryan Finley under center, like we got to bump everyone in this offense down like a lot but I think Giovanni Bernard is probably still going to be the highest floor guy just with uh, you know these sort of touches and targets and his potential to get 15 to 20 of them per week so he's still going to be a low-end RB2 but again and you can't overstate how bad the loss of Joe Burrow is for the rest of this offense Quickly on these wide receivers, Terry McLaurin, five catches, 84 yards on seven targets. Get this guy more targets. Had a beautiful 42-yard uh, catch with a defender draped over him. But, yeah, I mean, come on. I believe going in this game, only Alvin Kamara had more yards after the catch than, than Terry. So this guy can truly win at all areas of the field. Great little leader, too. I think he is actually their captain uh, already, second-year wide receiver. You know, not even someone that was picked on the first day. So awesome story from Terry McLaurin. Uh, Cam Sims, Steven Sims, Isaiah Wright. These guys have all flashed enough for a little bit over the past weeks, but they aren't going to, you know, know hold just any sort of fancy relevance in this run first offense when they can be uh with the Bengals Tyler Boyd big game caught nine of 11 targets for 85 yards AJ Green did score on a little pivot route but you know you see this goal line pivot route and usually there's at least some semblance of separation but lucky luckily for AJ Green he is a pretty big guy with that 6'4 you know 220 frame and Burrow is able to put it in the right spot so they got the score but you know caught four of nine targets certainly didn't look like someone that's all of a sudden taking a bigger step uh T Higgins only caught three of 10 targets for 26 yards this remains a spread out offense everybody and this is you know problematic i say tyler boyd 
is the one we can, you know, expect to still provide a pretty decent level of fantasy production, even with Ryan Finley there. But even then, that's tough. I think Boyd's going to be my number one guy uh, you know, moving forward, but it's going to be tough to have him in the top 30. Truly, Ryan Finley might be the worst quarterback in football at the moment. I'm not trying to be a dick. That's just what I've seen. I think what the stats have said over the past two years. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stat for the football team in the Bengals. I got to give it to Joe Burrow. He managed to throw for 300 plus yards five times in just 10 starts. The only other rookie quarterbacks in NFL history to accomplish that feat Andrew Luck who had six and then Daniel Jones Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert who had five so I understand these are all quarterbacks you know from the very recent history and the game is evolving but uh, you know Burrow with all that uh, volume you know maybe his efficiency stats weren't quite as crazy but you got to give credit to someone that can move the offense up and down the field regardless of what's happened again out of all these quarterbacks ever we only have these five guys that have accomplished that feat so credit to Burrow again hope that recovery goes well Next game, we had the Lions, excuse me, the Panthers defeating the Lions 20 to nothing. Just an absolutely brutal game. I mean, you would think facing a backup quarterback in PJ Walker could, uh, you know, maybe light a fire under a team that was slowly but surely kind of crawling their way back into uh, playoff contention, but that was not the case. So credit to PJ Walker on his first NFL win 24 for 34, 258 yards, touchdown, pair of interceptions. Look, he had a 50 yard dime to DJ Moore down the sideline. He had a nice touchdown pass to an open Curtis Samuel, uh, and he was just short to scoring on his own on a rush so we saw you know some of the athleticism from the xfl just him able to move out of the pocket and also just a big arm he can make a lot of these throws downfield with that said we cannot overlook these interceptions everybody two of them both of them his fault both of them pretty brutal and both of them in the opponent's end zone so they had two extra drives that could have been points and he threw the ball you know directly to uh, the opposition on both occasions so hey it was his first start you know we weren't couldn't expect him to be perfect but this is also a pretty dream matchup you know in terms of what the Lions were bringing uh, as a defense and I, I just I'm still concerned about him moving forward it's going to be Teddy's job the second he comes back but you know hey just appreciate this moment and we'll see what happens uh, going forward because he didn't give us anything on the ground negative two rushing yards and again my biggest gripe with PJ as someone that watched every single play of him in the XFL he was seventh out of eight quarterbacks in QB rating when throwing in fewer than two and a half seconds in the XFL. And then he was by far the first when he was throwing in more. So what that tells me is as someone that has struggled to, you know, see the first read to make that throw. But when things, you know, become playground style ball, he's able to make a bunch of plays. But as we can see in this one with some of these rushing numbers and just his lack of true like off script goodness, uh, you know, it's a lot harder to get loose against true NFL, you know, talent defensive linemen uh, than it is against some of the XFLers or even the NFL preseason players of the world so again great win for pj walker but you know similar to what we said about tua and kind of like alex smith early on like we can we can be happy for a guy that they got the win and still realize that they are not going to be uh you know these high-end fantasy relevant assets moving forward the season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding so head over to DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports this is the time to check out all that DraftKings sportsbook has to offer if you haven't tried the app yet head to the app store now because you do not want to miss this people to celebrate sunday's action DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to 100 that's right you bet they cover with risk-free sunday betting additionally this weekend there is plenty of action to get on so head to the app now to start making it rain on top of those great sign up offers DraftKings offers great odd odds boosts every sunday to help you make it rain DraftKings is safe reliable and secure making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience so download the top rated DraftKings sports 
Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right, you bet and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Uh, Matthew Stafford really also falls in that pool as long as his team remains uh, so banged up. Kenny Galladay was out again, Danny Amendola, and DeAndre Swift. And you know what? It seemed like the Lions just didn't even care, and they tried to run the same offense. So Stafford ended up taking five sacks. Uh, to his credit, he threw a 50-yard bomb for a touchdown to Marvin Jones on a flea flicker that was nullified on an illegal formation penalty. But and like, the one thing I just couldn't help but think this entire game, like why does this offense – look the exact same when they're missing all their, you know, parts. They had Carrion Johnson running around like their scat back and like just playing the DeAndre Swift role. Carrion Johnson admitted to freaking reporters in August that he doesn't have the same ability to move his body as DeAndre Swift. Like, you're literally, you know, fitting square pegs into round holes all over the field, you know, trying to use Quintez Cephas as a downfield threat. Marvin Hall's fine. You know, he gets his big field stretching play, uh, you know, usually one per week or something, but when you just try to slide him into three wide receiver sets, and expect, you know, nothing to change. It's a problem. I mean, TJ Hawkinson and Marvin Jones were by far their best two options to throw the ball to, and the fact that they only combined for 13 targets, like, come on. It, it, just, it did not work at all other than, again, the one flea flicker for a score, which was something I saw them do last year. So I just feel like this offense, they had a great game plan in 2019, and when things were healthy, and even in 2020 for a little bit, we've seen them play well, but... Matthew Stafford, his five games this year without an average target depth, over 10 yards have all come without Kenny Galladay. In past weeks, that was okay because we had Danny Amendola, we had DeAndre Swift. It made sense to not throw the ball as far downfield without Galladay out there. But you take away those underneath guys. I understand there's just not a lot to work with at this point, but this is a Panthers defense that, you know, should not be shutting out any team, let alone, you know, one led by uh, Matt Stafford and a team that, you know, likes to pretend that they have some playoff, uh, you know, ambitions. So just a brutal performance all the way around around from them. I mean, this run game combined for 40 yards on 17 carries. Carryon Johnson led the way uh, with, uh, let's see, 69% nice uh, of the snaps, six carries, four targets, AP, 31% snaps, seven carries, one target. I think that was more just due to game script probably than anything. Again, Carryon was the guy they wanted, you know, on third downs. This is rough, though, everybody, and I know they're getting, you know, this Texans defense on Thanksgiving, and hey, maybe that's a situation that could uh, boom someone back to the top. Hopefully that's someone is DeAndre Swift, and he's able to clear the concussion protocol by them, because the way Carrion and AP were looking out there, not good. I would say, you know, gun to my head, I would go with AP, but, you know, check out the um, DFS breakdown. I'll have out later this week with uh, my full thoughts on that. With the Panthers, Mike Davis was able to get a solid game going. He uh, only caught two passes for 15 yards, but 64 rushing yards and a score, and also just looked really good break and tackles uh, all day long. So ultimately, 73% of snaps, 19 carries, two targets. I think we would have even seen higher numbers if this game was a little bit closer down the stretch. As we said going in this one, as long as Christian McCaffrey is out, Mike Davis has the usage of a true RB1, continue to treat him as such, and just realize that those duds he had, again, they were just, they are pretty much more due to being in situations like the Lions were in this game. I mean, he just didn't have many plays to work with. That happens sometimes. Unfortunately, it happened in several straight weeks for Mike Davis, but you know, don't forget, this is someone with true uh, weekly overall RB1 up upside in their range of outcomes. Looking at these wide receivers real quick, DJ Moore season, everybody. Caught seven of 11 targets for 127 yards. Also chipped in a 21-yard rush. Like, he had that awesome 52-yard catch downfield, and he's been making good plays downfield. But the whole reason, like 
that this year's been a little bit confusing for DJ Moore is like he's always been a guy that can go downfield, but his yak has been what's so insane. I mean, I think his rookie year, like average of yards after catch per reception, is one of the highest marks in PFF's like database ever. I mean, he was truly coming out of college looking like one of the most electric guys with the ball in his hands. So for them to kind of give that, you know, just more underneath high volume role to Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore as the field stretcher, it was just kind of the opposite of what we've seen in past years. So as we've seen, you know, over more and more weeks, both DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and even Curtis Samuel are more incapable of operating, you know, at all three levels of the field at a high level. But yeah, get DJ Moore some more screens. It's not it's not illegal to give him a rush attempt a time or two. You just want to get the ball in this guy's hands. So we've seen, you know, more urgency to do that. It's, you know, certainly looks good that PJ Walker identified more as his number one target. He's still going to be a little bit more boomer busty, I think, than we'd like. But we got to give credit to these, you know, boomer bust type players because it's almost, I feel like that's almost a bad connotation. At some point, there's a lot of players that can't boom at all. And DJ Moore, you know, even though he has been inconsistent, he has shown that high end ability to put together these big performances. So, hey, I'm someone that I've had DJ Moore, you know, on multiple teams. And sometimes, you know, when you have these uh, teams where you have four or five top 25 wide receivers, there's an odd man out. And that has been DJ Moore for me uh, in recent weeks. But, you know, more and more, it's just if you can find a place in the offense for this guy get him in there because even if the passing game you know with the quarterback shuffling isn't quite as consistent as we'd like uh, DJ Moore is anyone's idea of a great NFL receiver and I think we have seen that whenever he's been given the opportunity this year uh, credit Curtis Samuel eight catches 70 yards and a score I mean we talked about him like he's not going to be someone that's going to put this up every single week but when he's getting some rush attempts too and when he's just involved in offense that more times than not are doing good things through the air, we can, you know, continue to treat Curtis Samuel as really, you know, a top 36, legit wide receiver three option on a weekly basis. Robbie Anderson still hasn't scored since week one, I believe, but another nine targets, seven catches, 46 yards. Uh, he has settled in nicely as kind of, you know, a low ceiling wide receiver two in this offense. Uh, yeah, with the Lions, again, mentioned Marvin Jones had that 50 yard flea flicker overturned, had 51 yards otherwise. He continues to look all right without Galladay. He'll continue to kind of be a higher end wide receiver three borderline two as long as he remains sidelined. Also, shout out TJ Hawkinson playing through the pain with that toe injury. Four catches, 68 yards. Keep firing him up as a top five, top six tight end in this freaking wacko year at the tight end position. PFF Lily matchup stats. So, first of all, Christian McCaffrey has been a far better receiver than Mike Davis this, this year. Second of all, listen to this stat Mike Davis in the year 2020 has a 77.1 PFF rushing grade. Christian McCaffrey's at 75.9. Mike Davis has averaged 0.27 forced missed tackles per rush. McCaffrey's at 0.19. Mike Davis has averaged 4 yards per carry. McCaffrey's at 3.8. Mike Davis has averaged 3.3 yards after contact per attempt. McCaffrey is all the way down at 2.6. We would all take Christian McCaffrey over Mike Davis. Let's put some respect on Mike Davis's name. McCaffrey can still be awesome, and we can love Mike Davis, and we don't have to just say running backs don't matter because clearly, you know, I've seen all the messages and apps of me about Duke Johnson. We all know running backs matter to an extent, particularly in fantasy football. Mike Davis has been playing some great ball all season long. The stats say he's been a better rusher than McCaffrey. I, I think that's, you know in large part because defenses are focusing on him less than Christian McCaffrey. I'm not even saying he's a better runner than Christian McCaffrey, but the fact that he's in the same area code, in the same offense, when they both have you know ample opportunity throughout this season, put some respect on Mike Davis's name. I really hope that you know in 2021 and beyond, we continue to see him get plenty of chances to touch the ball on a weekly basis. 
Thank you, as always, for listening to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Everybody, we have six more matchups on the way. Next up, one of the main events, I would say co-main events, Saints-Falcons. Saints got the victory, uh, 24-2-9. Taysom Hill was the really star of Twitter on the day. I mean, everyone was just kind of coming at this guy. And look, he got the win. I will say, you know, Saints scoring 24 points, that tied a season low mark. I mean, I was thinking, like, could this be just the wild scenario where Sean Payton, who we know loves Taysom Hill, probably more than the guy's own mother at this point. And, you know, the only time I can think in the past of a team making this big of a quarterback switch, uh, you know, just because of an injury, I guess there was, you know, Dak and Romo, which we saw Dak kind of add a different uh, dimension to the offense and just being that, you know, kind of rookie, they were just he didn't mess up hardly the entire time Romo was out. Uh, and then we also had, you know, even further back when Alex Smith was on the 49ers still, when he got hurt and Kaepernick came in and that was even more of a shorter thing that they really gave the reins to Kaepernick. So I guess my point is with both those, we saw more of a dual threat quarterback coming to the offense, kind of really just get their run game going at a different dimension that wasn't previously in the offense. And because of that, you can make the case that they kind of unlocked, you know, a new higher level to the offense that the, you know, incumbent QB didn't have. I don't think that's the case in New Orleans at all. I think Taysom Hill is a passer. The way they're using him is never going to be as good as Drew Brees because who is as good as Drew Brees? And then when they're running him, like why do we need Taysom Hill averaging five, four or five yards per carry when we have Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray capable of doing that exact same thing? So again, it was successful. They got the win. It just seems so forced because I don't see anything about his skill set that isn't, you know, capable of someone else taking on. You know, I know the expression, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. I don't know that that's a great thing. I think, you know, we see in life and in Football, if you have one really elite skill that can carry you a long way. So, you know, Taysom Hill, hey, he went out there and maybe you could say he's above average at everything. And because of that, you know, we saw his good performance. And I don't want to take too much away from him. 18 for 23, 233 yards. You know, we all made fun of that underthrow that was just 20 yards underthrown on like the 43-yard completion to Emmanuel Sanders. But he had another underthrown touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders that was uh, nullified by penalty. So it could have been an even bigger game. He did find his way into the end zone twice, 51 yards. You know, we talk about guys like Josh Allen forcing defenses to, uh, you know, guard the entire, you know, width and length of the field for better and for worse. Taysom Hill falls in that category. So he's not an easy guy to game plan for by any stretch of the imagination. I guess my point with this would just be don't start buying too much in this hype and thinking that the Saints, you know, could be better, uh, you know, quote unquote, better off without Taysom Hill. I think, uh, no, excuse, excuse me, they could be better off with Taysom Hill because I think the biggest issue with Hill in there, it gets us to our next point, Alvin Kamara becomes not an afterthought, but man, I don't know what else to call it. First game of Kamara's career without a single reception in this one. That is just unacceptable. Credit to Michael Thomas for catching nine of 12 targets for 104 yards, but... Come on, everybody. We've seen Alvin Kamara this year. He has been the Saints' best offensive player by far. And, I mean, hey, he had 13 carries, 45 yards in the score. But, really, like, we want Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara getting pretty much the same opportunities on a per-week basis. We want Taysom Hill running the ball as many times as Alvin Kamara. That's my point with this. Like, let Drew Brees be the quarterback. Michael Thomas had a good game here. What, was 2019 Michael Thomas setting the freaking reception record not enough evidence that we can give this guy the benefit of the doubt when he's going to be healthy? I mean, we're talking about him like, oh, can he? only produced with Taysom Hill now. The guy freaking had to face Carlton Davis in shadow coverage twice and then had the game last week where he should have scored, but Jameis sailed him and Breeze was hurt by halftime. So chill out on Michael Thomas. He just had over 100 yards with a, you know, a glorified tight end throwing him the football. Let's, you know, let's chill on the Mr. Slanty jokes. We've all heard them all. And if you say his name on Twitter, you know, he'll be, you know, going out and maybe getting that block button. So Michael Thomas, great 2019. He's coming on now that I think he's a little bit healthier and credit to him for making the best out of a, you know, 
not great situation. I think we'd see a lot more guys uh, struggle with. On the Falcons' side of the ball, Matt Ryan, just a really rough game for him. Eight sacks, two picks, 19 for 37, 232 yards. One of the good things about Matt Ryan over the years, and I think one of the reasons why he does get uh, you know, a high-level of respect is he is you know, the first thing from a dink-and-dunk quarterback. We've consistently seen him you know, shredding it down the middle, deep down the sideline, and Julio, Calvin Ridley, you know, all these guys um, over the years. And just in this game, when the Saints were getting this sort of pass rush, uh, wasn't able to do anything with it. So the run game, I mean, 14 carries, 52 yards, didn't help matters. And with Julio Jones really missing most of this one with a hamstring injury. Yeah, it just wasn't going to be Matt Ryan's day. We've seen him struggle without Julio Jones in the lineup, and that was the case today. Uh, quickly with these backfields, Brian Hill actually played 41% snaps. Gurley was at 39%. We have seen, though, when the Falcons get down that, you know, they do just really rest Gurley more or less in the second half. They don't like him as much on passing downs as you might expect. And because of that, we see Hill and Ido kind of get more run in these situations. So Gurley was still leading the way in carries, and he even had the backfields only two targets. So even though someone out there might be telling you, hey, Brian Hill led the way in snaps this week, takeover is imminent, we need to see more than this. I'm not saying Gurley has played great, but he hasn't played great the entire season, and they haven't made this change yet. Coming out of the bye, you know, if it would have been something that they were more pressing in the first half of the game, maybe that'd be a different story, but really wasn't the case. And Gurley, you know, hey, he's been a touchdown-dependent RB2 all season. The touchdowns don't come when we get a performance like this, but it's going to be hard to rank, you know, more than 15, 16 guys ahead of him next week. This Falcons offense, you know, less scoring potential without Julio Jones potentially, but still a unit that we should expect to find the end zone a couple times more weeks than not. And Gurley is usually the favorite to be that guy finding the end zone. With the Saints, I mean, kind of the usual system. Kamara didn't play as much as usual, but I think that was probably more because of game script. 52% snaps for him and 13 carries. Latavius Murray, 47%, 12 carries and two targets. So Latavius continuing to play well. I'm mean, not taking anything away from him, but Alvin Kamara, it's Alvin Kamara. We can all agree Alvin Kamara should get fed the ball a lot more. How many times can I say his full name and not just one? Maybe Taysom Hill's whole kind of grand scheme is to get Kamara to finish with exactly 81 receptions for the fourth straight year. That would be one outcome out of this whole Taysom Hill experiment that would make me smile. If we can get Kamara down off his, you know, massive pace to finish with exactly 81 receptions for the fourth straight year, I would be down with you and Taysom Hill, uh, Mr. Sean Payton. So uh, quickly, these wide receivers, Calvin Ridley, you give the guy a plus target and he's going to return you a big game. He did that again, five catches, 90 yards on nine targets, had a 46 yard catch on the second play of the game. Looks healthier than ever. Continue to fire him up as a wide receiver one. He's been all season. Russell Gage had 12 targets, uh, seven catches, 58 yards. Really the first time since the first couple weeks of the season that we saw him get featured like this uh you know it if we're talking like a one-game slate or something, okay, maybe we can uh, th throw him in there. But we've honestly seen uh, Christian Blake and Alamide Zacchaeus, excuse me on that pronunciation, uh, step up a little bit more without Julio. So we've seen them bump around a little bit. Uh, check out my wide receiver cornerback uh, matchups column. That's always out on Thursday to kind of see more specific thoughts if Julio's going to end up missing time with his hamstring injury. I mentioned before Michael Thomas, nine catches, 104 yards. And yeah, also Emmanuel Sanders, four catches, 66 yards on five targets. So Manny, you know, great job coming back and not underthrown ball from Taysom and then had a touchdown where he pretty much mossed a guy. I, I shouldn't say moss. It was kind of like that Jerry Judy moss from a couple weeks ago where, you know, he technically caught the ball over top of the defender, but it was also like, bro, how are you an NFL defender and you did not knock that thing to the ground? So, hey, credit to Manny Sanders. He's doing everything he could out there. Uh, still think, you know, a Taysom under center, clearly this is more of a run first offense and, you know, Manny or Sanders could be more of a boomer bust, uh, you know, even more of just, I would say, like kind of a low ceiling wide receiver four here moving forward. 
PFF Lily matchup stats. So backing up Michael Thomas here a little bit more. Michael Thomas in this game, four targets thrown at least 15 yards downfield. He caught all four of them for 73 yards. Before that, the rest of 2020, just three such targets. And he only caught one of them for 20 yards. So Taysom Hill, he's brought, you know, a little more of a downfield mentality to the offense. You know, Michael Thomas is one of these guys where you look at his downfield stats from the past few years, not all that impressive. I don't think it's that he can't do that. It's just they haven't asked him to. Hey, when you can just pick up 10-yard, 12-yard gain after 10-yard, 12-yard gain, that works. Usually you don't have a quarterback that can kind of consistently keep the offense on track, you know, living off of that and not having the big plays. But that's why Drew Brees will be a first ballot Hall of Famer when he decides to hang the cleats up. Next matchup, we had the Broncos defeat the Dolphins 22-13. Not exactly the prettiest or most fun game to watch. Uh, Tua ended up getting benched in the second half. And, you know, according to Coach Brian Flores, it was not because of injury. It was specifically because of performance. And it's hard to disagree with the guy. And before exiting, Tua was 11 for 20, 83 yards, one touchdown, no picks, but took six sacks, continued to not give us anything uh, in terms of just rushing production. And, I mean, even the touchdown, like it was a three-yard score to Devontae Parker. Well-thrown ball. I'm not taking anything away from that, but he threw a pick a couple plays before where like he was trying to get the ball over someone's head and just didn't. And then he got bailed out and it got uh, nullified by a penalty. So, I mean, even the one really good throw he had on the day could have been uh, called back. So I had a bunch of, you know, start sick questions about Tua this morning and I picked against him every time not to victory lap too hard on you guys. But the reasoning was just simple. We have not seen him trusted to throw the ball a lot. Even in these wins, he was 3-0 as a starter, hadn't thrown the ball more than 30 times. And while he is an athletic guy, you know, he, I, you know, maybe the Russell Wilson comparisons were off because we shouldn't be comparing anyone to Russell Wilson. But just in terms of that ability to kind of keep the play going with his mobility, you know, in the pocket, I, you can see the flashes and why people would say that. But it just hasn't consistently amounted to rushing yards. And that goes back to his days at, at Alabama. So to, a, you know, and to his credit in this offense, you know, or Devontae Parker and Mike Jasicki, not exactly overflowing with guys that, you know, I think a bunch of offenses want to have out there throwing the ball to. So it just wasn't, you know, it's, a, it's just not the most fancy friendly mix for Tua. He was able to, you know, survive the last few weeks just kind of being a ball control dude with a great defense and, a, you know, a good run game. But defense, you know, wasn't scoring for him in this game and the run game wasn't doing the same uh, thing that we've seen in the past weeks either. So Tua, you know, is not going to be on the fantasy grid. Flores did say he will be starting next week. But again, we just do not have enough volume, not, not enough firepower and not enough for a rushing floor to trust Tua as a realistic fantasy asset. And honestly, it goes for everyone else in this offense too. I mean, Devontae Parker, credit to him for making the most out of it. Six catches, 61 yards and a score. Mike Jasicki started to come on once Ryan Fitzpatrick came in the game. But, you know, Parker... I've had him as kind of like an upside wide receiver three with Tua under center. I'm not really going to be changing that after this performance. And elsewhere, it's just hard to get behind really really anyone. Salvin Ahmed continued to lead the backfield, 6-7% snaps, 12 carries, uh, and actually ended up getting uh, six targets. So that was surprising to me because over these past two weeks, he only had one target in in the two games combined. And with Matt Breida coming back, it would make sense. You know, if he was the guy featured on pass downs, that was not the case. So, you know, while Salvin Ahmed disappointed, you know, I think my decision for not really liking him that much this week was uh, ended up being a little bit off because of the way Brita was uh, just relegated to the number three back. I mean, even Patrick Laird uh, played ahead of Matt Brita. So, hey, you know, maybe Brita was, you know, just slow coming off the hamstring injury. Salvin Ahmed in this offense still isn't someone that we should just be, you know, forcing in the lineups. But with this sort of volume, he's going to be kind of on that RB2 vo- uh, borderline right there, you know, kind of nearby Duke Johnson uh, just because of the pure volume. So, uh, Miles Gaskin, he is eligible to return next week. We haven't gotten a clear timetable 
table. Once he's back, we're done with Ahmed. But at least for week 12, and as long as Gaskin remains on the IR, again, volume-based RB2. Now with the Broncos. So Drew Locke, 18 for 30, 270 yards like uh, Cam Newton. That's a little bit inflated because he had a 61-yard completion of Tim Patrick at the end of the game where they did the thing where there were four seconds left and they just wanted to kill the four seconds. So, you know, you ask your quarterback to roll out and just chuck the ball downfield. Tim Patrick ran by his corner and Drew Locke put the ball on him. It was one of those things where you're very happy you stayed uh, for the last play of the game because it was pretty funny to see and, you know, kind of helps sort out that while Drew Locke, you know, hey, he p- it was a good throw and, you know, we can't take that play away from him but performance was a little bit deceiving uh, from the total box score so hey with Drew Locke you know he threw an ugly interception to open the game but other than that no sacks he didn't fumble I mean he was facing a defense that we have seen defang you know some much better offenses than the Broncos so the fact that Locke was able to play you know turnover free football for 55 minutes of the game was pretty impressive and you know he's just someone that a couple times in this one just shocked me with how mobile he wasn't able to get around the edge and even capture the corner a time or two I mean only two carries for 23 yards but this is someone that's mobile enough to stretch the pocket and I don't want to keep comparing everyone to Josh Allen because he's like the most unique player out there. But again, it's just that idea of when you have one of these quarterbacks that can move, that just has a massive arm, they can create problems for the defense. I mean, look at Justin Herbert and the things he's been able to do this year. So I think more and more in today's NFL, if we we can get a quarterback that can at least move a little bit, I'm not saying they're guaranteed to be a better long-term quarterback, but I think just in terms of fantasy, we can at least project a wider range of outcomes and have a little bit more uh, potential success uh, with their teammates. So Drew Locke, still not someone we're going to, you know, be, be seeing on the fantasy grid anytime soon. But, you know, and, you know, he's had now, I think, 11 starts. There's been ups and downs, but there have been some ups. So good stuff, you know, not all the time from Drew Locke, but, you know, we see the reason why so many in the Broncos organization remain high in him. I do hope they continue to go back to the well with him and kind of give him a chance to grow into something more. I'm not saying I'm, you know, necessarily believing in Drew Locke a ton, but I love the swag factor and I'm rooting for the guy because he does make, uh, you know, these games more fun to watch. With this Broncos backfield, Melvin Gordon played 51% snaps, 15 carries, no targets. Philip Lindsay, though, right there, too, 43% snaps and 16 carries. Gordon at 84 yards, Lindsay at 82 yards. I mean, Lindsay's looked pretty good all season. Gordon, particularly the last two weeks, has been showing off some more explosion, and Gordon found the end zone twice. He did lose a fumble. I mean, he was close to scoring a third touchdown, but got stuffed at the one and lost the ball. They had to review it for a while, so could have been an even bigger game from Gordon, but, I mean, this is, look, we've seen this Broncos team, the amount of games that they're going to be able to play with positive game script like this few and far between so Gordon's a league guy he's going to be you know a, I, don't, I don't even want to say lower end RB2 I'd say uh, you know higher end RB3 projected to lead the backfield in touches but he's losing playing to Philip Lindsay and you know even though he had a couple or excuse me he didn't have any targets in this game yeah Drew Locke does not like throwing to his running backs and because of that that hurts the floor of everyone involved so Gordon Credit to him for finding the end zone. He's going to need to find the end zone to continue to provide anything resembling this sort of fantasy value. Uh, mentioned Patrick's day, you know, being really boosted by that 61-yarder. He did tie with Judy for a team I eight targets. Judy only had three catches for 37 yards. Had no fan right there. Five targets, four catches, 55 yards. Hamler down to six targets after back-to-back game with 10. Not having Cortland Sutton in the picture has helped, but still, as you can see, this is a crowded situation. I still think Judy, more weeks than not, will emerge as a number one, but you know, pretty much anyone in either of these offenses, you know, he's going to have a low floor. So Judy, someone I'll probably have more in that wide receiver three range as opposed to the wide receiver two. I've been hoping he could be over the past few weeks. This was a tough matchup against Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. Don't get it twisted, but still, just in this Broncos offense, we've seen the good and we've seen the bad, and we just can't, you know, always assume that we're going to be seeing the good weeks for uh, one of these teams that you know is going to be out of playoff contention in all likelihood before too long. 
Next matchup, we got the Chargers defeating the Jets 34 to 28. Typical Chargers game in that, you know, it was just madness and you were kind of waiting to see how they were going to blow it. And it almost happened there at the end. But Justin Herbert just, you know, balling out. So many were concerned after he got the haircut that, uh, you know, would take away his superpowers. But seemed to have, you know, more of a remember the Titans sunshine effect. He got rid of the locks, came in focused. Maybe he was spending more time uh, grinding film, less time, you know, on the old Tinder app and all that. Okay, I'll, I'll stop everyone. Sorry. But 366 yards. Three touchdowns, uh, did take three sacks, but no picks, and also chipped in 11 yards on the ground. Just more and more goodness from Justin Herbert. This guy's been balling all season long. And, you know, a Jets defense that it was pretty much like the same kind of strategy they did against uh, the Chiefs hysterically a couple weeks ago. I mean, Kalen Bellage, you know, I guess they were just dead set on not letting him get his revenge game going because he only had 16 carries for 44 yards. But it's like, congrats, uh, Jets. You stopped the run. You have, you know pretty much forced Justin Herbert and company to throw the ball a week after they really didn't want to at all against the Dolphins defense that, you know, was pretty much uh, inviting them to as well. So, hey, congrats, Jets. You've now forced Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert to, you know, just dissect your defense even more so than they were probably going to do anyway. So, continue to fire up, you know, any and all fancy options against the Jets with reckless abandon moving forward. Uh, shout out to Keenan Allen, caught 16 of 19 targets, 145 yards in the score. The touchdown was absolutely beautiful from Herbert. He was rolling out to his left, and like the second he noticed Keenan Allen's defender looking the other way, Herbert just zinged that thing into like a six-inch window for the score. So Keenan, he got he got some air yards on a couple targets, but ultimately his long was only 21. So hey, he's working the underneath intermediate areas of the field. He's great after the catch. The Chargers and Justin Herbert specifically fully realize he's the undisputed number one guy in this passing game. I mean, Keenan Allen's someone that I've obviously had, you know, high up in the wide receiver one ranks, but moving forward. Forward, man, it's going to be tough with these sort of target uh, totals to keep him out of that top three even. So, you know, Keenan Allen, awesome season, awesome player. Uh, great to see him and Herbert gelling in an offense that we just didn't know if they could even reach this point uh, this season. Shout out to, uh, oh, it was not, I get Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson confused. They're both just these complimentary number three, number four receivers, and usually one of them has a big gain. Shout out Tyron Johnson this week had the 54-yarder. I did think it was Guyton. Not them are fancy assets, but just realize Herbert, you know, pretty much once per week hits one of these complimentary receivers for a 50-yarder, and it is fun to watch. Uh, Hunter Henry continued his end zone streak at two straight games now with a score of 48 yards. He's finally turning into this consistent tight end one that we hoped he could be in this offense, and and finally, my guy Mike Williams had a nice 30-yard touch, 39-yard touchdown catch on a slant and run. Not just a contested catch artist. I think Mike Williams is one of the most, you know, I'd say underrated. One of the most underrated receivers in the league. True top 10 talent coming out of Clemson. He can do it all. He is not, you know, don't pigeonhole him as, you know, one type of receiver. He's a, he's a red zone guy. He's just a big physical possession receiver. No, Mike Williams is a monster. He can do it all. And the fact that, you know, he plays with Keenan Allen. Hey, the Chargers have two number one wide receivers. And I'm not saying he's better than Keenan Allen. That's fine. I'll give that crown to Keenan any day of the week. But just because Mike Williams is the second best wide receiver on his team doesn't mean he wouldn't be the best on many other squads around the league. So Mike Williams, you know, upside wide receiver three on a weekly basis in this budding offense. With these backfields, Kalen Balazs shows 66% snaps, 16 carries, 8 targets. He caught 7 of them for 27 yards. So even though he didn't find the end zone this game like we were hoping, you know, in the flawed point per reception scoring that I barked about on this podcast a few times, uh, he still was able to be just fine. So with Austin Eckler looking like he'll be back in week 13 at the earliest, I think Balazs is again going to be a volume-induced top 20 option at the position. Uh, saw Troy Man Pope out there for a little bit this week, 90% snaps. Joshua Kelly, 14%. Neither of them are on the fancy 
grid with the Jets. So LaMichael Pirine suffered a knee injury, which kind of threw off the potential for him to get going. Either way, you know, Frank Gore is going to remain involved. He had 56% snaps for 15 carries and two targets in this one. So both Gore and Pirine found the end zone on pretty short rushes. But, I mean... I don't want to hate on Frank Gore too much because it's not like P. Ryan's been, it's not like an Antonio Gibson situation where, you know, this guy's just been flashing again and again and again and they won't give him the ball. I mean, P. Ryan's been fine. He's probably a better option than Frank Gore at this point in his career, but it's also a situation where I don't think, you know, he's someone worth overly stashing for with this knee injury because we don't know if the role is going to come and we also don't even know if he can do much with it based on what we've seen. Uh, with these Jets receivers, Denzel Mims, three catches, 71 yards, Perryman, two catches, 54 yards, and a score. When Flacco is under center, he likes throwing to these outside guys much more. Jamison Crowder, only one catch, four 16 yards and three targets. We talked last week about, you know, staying away from Crowder until Darnold's back under center. It sounds like that could be next week, but truly, Flacco, this dude likes throwing downfield. I love it. Hey, you know, he's got that teardrop deep ball. You got a couple defensive pass interferences out there like always, and honestly, he's kept the Jets far more competitive than I think Darnold was, so they'll go back to Darnold, I'm sure, but, you know, we cannot go back to Jamison Crowder until the Jets do go back to Sam Darnold. Finally, Guys, it happened. Whole offseason on this podcast, I preached getting Chris Herndon. I let you down. There were a lot of wasted, you know, 15, 16 round draft picks, and that is on me. I took that out in week two and told you to cut Chris Herndon. But we can celebrate the guy making some big plays. Two catches, 32 yards, and a score on three targets. You know, both the catches were nice snags. You see the talent out there. You see the reason why I wasted so much time in those July, August months barking about this dude. So, no, he's not a fancy option moving forward. I'm not trying to say that. And this is not a victory lap. I'm just saying, Chris Herndon, touchdown. Nice. Root for players. Root for players. No, don't worry about the teams. You can root for your favorite team, but we want players to do good. You know, be nice to them. They're amazing athletes. They're better than us at the game that we all love. Football. Good stuff from Chris Herndon. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stat here. So Justin Herbert has thrown for at least 300 yards and or counter for three total touchdowns in every game this season. Only five rookie QBs have earned a PFF grade of at least 80 since 2010. Robert Griffin, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Baker Mayfield, and currently Justin Herbert. Truly one of the best rookies we have seen at the quarterback position over the past decade. Any way you want to look at it. Three more matchups to go through, everyone. Thank you for sticking with me, as always. Colts 34, Packers 31. As someone that had, you know, probably a little bit too much money on the Packers as an underdog, this one was particularly tilting because, you know, they blew that 28-14 to halftime lead. With that said, you know, game probably shouldn't have been going to overtime if, uh, you know, not so many of those offensive uh, holding penalties were called on the Colts. So it went both ways. Uh, you know, I understand I might be a little more flawed with it, so I want to get that out of the way uh, if my, you know, kind of recollection of this game doesn't quite match uh, what maybe some of you Colts fans uh, saw, out, saw out there. So anyway, Rodgers, you know, played really well in the first half. 311 yards and three touchdowns total. You know, he was getting Devontae going. Uh, had just a couple, again, just usual great Aaron Rodgers throws. I mean, even just in the second half, even after he was quiet in the third quarter for most of the fourth quarter, the pass he lofted down the middle of the field in between three guys to Marquez Valdez scaling to really start to get them in the field goal range. Absolutely spectacular. So, you know, we saw the Colts come back and play hard. And again, you know, going in this game, they're number one defense in the league and contested uh, target percentage. Uh, so the only defense over 20%. So, they're good. I've already said I was wrong calling them frauds, but we can also see that, you know, high-end passing games, they can put up numbers. Over 300 yards and three tutties for Aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams had 106 yards in his score. This offense, you know, easily could have won this game if MVS didn't, you know, fumble in overtime on a pretty weak, uh, you know, forced fumble attempt, I must say. But, you know, it is what it is. Packers lost this one, but, you know, Devontae Adams, he's going to continue to be the overall wide receiver one. MVS more of a, you know, more of a boomer bust wide receiver five than ever because, you know, it wouldn't be shocking to see them uh, kind of, you know, 
penalize him for that late game fumble, particularly with Alan Lazard back in action and even Equinemian St. Brown uh, having a nice 23-yard catch where he shows some solid yak ability. So, Devontae Adams, since everyone else, MVS has looked like that guy that could give us, you know, the most of anything else uh, throughout the season. But too many drops, too many mistakes. Would not be shocked if they start to look a different direction. We've seen them do this in the past. I'm not just speculating here. I mean, MVS has been someone that has kind of fallen in and out of favor of the coaching staff. I'd be very concerned about firing him up with any sort of confidence in Week 12 and likely uh, beyond. Shout out Robert Tunyon, uh, catching all five of his targets for 44 yards and a score. Continues to look like the best tight end out there for the Packers. Unfortunately, you know, we got Mercedes. Lewis getting a target, Jay Sternberger getting three. He's going to be you know a little more volatile than we'd hope for. But inside this offense, clearly Roger Rogers likes him. Uh, Tunyon will continue to be you know a touchdown dependent, probably lower end tight end one, higher end uh, tight end two uh, moving forward. With the Colts, shout out Philip Rivers, 288 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. Like. I- maybe I've just been a little biased. Like two, Rivers has no rushing floor. I know he doesn't have the arm strength, but he hasn't had the arm strength in years. Maybe I'm just a little bit biased towards these guys that, you know, on corking balls downfield and making, you know, better real-life throws. Because Rivers, I mean, numbers are numbers. We don't care, like, how we get them in fantasy land. But it just seems like every single time this guy goes back, it's either, you know, a quick throw to a running back or a tight end the defense hasn't recognized yet. Or it's a crosser to a wide receiver that is either open because the defense forgot about him or because, you know, it was a pick play. I'm, you know, I'm hating a little bit here. I understand that, you know, Rivers had some real nice throws, one of which, I mean, just 23-yard uh, uh, flag route to T.Y. Hilton that was just dropped in a bucket. So his timing is as good as ever. He identifies the play. He is playing winning football, and that's why the Colts are 7-3. and three. I guess the upside in these three touch, these three passing touchdown games have been what has caught me by a little bit of surprise. And it's just so tough to have any sort of confidence in these guys getting the touchdowns. I mean, this year, only Marcus Johnson and uh, uh, Michael Pittman, who each have won, those have been the only instances of guys going over 75 receiving yards from this wide receiver unit. We saw that streak hold today. Nobody on the team had more than six targets. T.Y. was in the lead with six. Pittman had three. Zach Pascal had three. Uh, Trey Burton had five. Naeem Hines had four. Jonathan Taylor had four. So just continuing to spread around. We see this every week. I don't think there's going to be a leader really emerge. I know Michael Pittman had the 45-yard touchdown. Look, I'm not... I'm not trying to hate on Michael Pittman or anything. He could very well be a great wide receiver. I just haven't seen anything over these past two weeks to make us think that he can be, you know, this Justin Jefferson type, just true difference-making talent. Like, I want to see these guys, like Chase Claypool, like all these awesome, CeeDee Lamb. I want to see a situation where Michael Pittman has to either rely on, you know, contested catchability. He has to win against man coverage. He has to run a great route. He has to do anything other than what he's done the past two weeks, which is run a crosser, not be guarded by the defense, catch the ball, and then Look, when he catches the ball with no one around him within 10 yards, he looks great. I think a lot of NFL players would look great in those situations. But credit to him for getting into those situations and picking up some yards. I mean, we got to put him on the fancy map to some extent. But, you know, see him have three targets here. It's clear the Colts don't, you know, overwhelmingly think he's someone that needs to be, you know, full, full out featured ahead of everyone else. So. We got that working against us. And again, like if he was doing anything else here to give us, you know, just better, I guess, evidence that he was this, you know, super high-end talent, I'd be more willing to go to the well. But, you know, the guy's really the two just premier plays he's made over the past two weeks. The defense literally did not guard him on either occasion. So you can throw out the stat lines. I know they're good. And if he continues to just not be guarded on these plays because maybe Phillip Rivers is smart enough to, you know, set him up for these, hey, it's fantasy points. We'll take it how we can get it. But, you know, more so the reason why I'm not going to be on Pittman is 
is because of how erratic this passing game has been all year long in terms of volume and also overall upside. I mean, look, they want to run the ball when they're able to do it. This was a game where they had to kind of play catch up uh, for most of the second half. So, you know, I just think it's still, even with Rivers having some of these three touchdown games because of how widely distributed the volume is, uh, we're still going to want to be staying away from these receivers more games than not. Quickly on the backfield, uh, Jonathan Taylor led the way for the Colts. And this was after a uh, you know pregame uh, report from uh, Mr. Ian Rapport from NFL Network. Look, Ian, it works very hard, and he's very good with news. I would just say, you know, when you do see these Sunday morning reports from Rapport specifically, uh, just sometimes take them with a grain of salt. I would not overhaul your entire process. Again, I, you know, we, we we joke about the guy because he's got you know one of the b- biggest jobs and best jobs in all of uh, sports, and just you know the stuff. And the, you know, ears he has and all that stuff. But I think sometimes when it comes to workload and analysis, just might not be getting, you know, the best information all the time. Schefter, we're going to trust, you know, almost everything he has to say. But just wrap, again, with some of these, uh, you know, stories that might just sound a little bit better in front of a television camera for 45 seconds. Uh, just realize might not be as rooted in uh, stuff that, you know, important people have had to say. So anyway, Jonathan Taylor, 22 carries, 90 yards. It did seem like that Naeem Hines did have the chance to be the guy, but that chance all like lasted one drive. He got the start, but six carries, two yards. I mean, Jordan Wilkins, four carries, 21 yards. Hines is still out there you know, a good chunk of the game, 35%. But in a game that they were trailing to see Jonathan Taylor take the lead, very good to see. Taylor also, you know, tying with Hines with four targets. Uh, He's been a capable pass down back all year. Now he's been one of the pleasant surprises with Jonathan Taylor. Now, this Packers defense, we've seen, you know, running backs of all shapes and sizes go off against them over the past two years. Like, this is not, I think, a sign that Jonathan Taylor is going to just start balling out week in and week out here down the stretch. But it's good. This is a better game from Jonathan Taylor than we've seen in past weeks. We want him to have success and hopefully you know, build on it moving forward. But if you learned anything about this Colts backfield, whether it's been Wilkins, you know, Hines, Taylor, one guy has a big week. And after that, it goes right back to the three back committee. It's been all year. So anyone's idea of a true hot hand approach, uh, continue to try, not treat any of these guys as top 24 options, but realize that, you know, if you need to go the well with someone as a, you know, low ceiling but somewhat okay floor because we can hope for 10 plus touches. Uh, that's, I think, the situation we want to go with these Colts running backs. Aaron Jones, 51% snaps. Jamal Williams, 49%. Yeah, it's annoying, but Aaron Jones, 10 carries, 4 targets. Jamal, 5 carries, 2 targets. He found the end zone on one of his targets. Jones found the end zone as a rusher. I don't know why they're split this close, and they continue to be. It's just a reality. Jamal Williams is good. He runs really hard. I mean, he had when he was starting, I, I think it was against the Texans, like first drive of the game, he gets his helmet knocked off, and he jumped up, and he was more hyped than the defender that just hit him. Like, I love the way the guy plays football, but you just look at the efficiency metrics, you know, ability to catch the ball. I think just overall influence on what the defense has to worry about. Aaron Jones, far and away, the better guy. But you know what? It's November. Packers are still 7-3. and three. Hopefully they you know continue to just put more on Jones' plate as they get into more must-win games. He's still going to be a top five, top six, you know, fantasy back week, and, week in and week out, pretty much regardless of the matchup. Um, PFF Lewis stat of the matchup. Uh, the Ravens and Colts are the league's only offenses that don't have even two instances of a player getting double-digit targets in a game this season. Once T.Y. Holden had at least 10 targets in the game, that's it. So, hey, I, I know it's a fairly arbitrary threshold. If you have eight or nine targets in a game, that's fine too. But, again, it's been a spread-out offense, and it's been a run-first offense. Because of that, we just have not gotten hardly any instances of that sort of high-end fancy volume, uh, fancy-friendly volume that we are always searching for. 
All right, everybody, two more games. Quick shout out to our sponsors, though, Monkey Knife Fight. Before then, all first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks in their account by using promo code PFF or receive a free PFF, PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just 20 bucks, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that 20 bucks into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA on Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Good stuff from our friends at Monkey Knife Fight. Uh, second last game on the docket here. Cowboys beat the Vikings 31-28. Shocking game. And look, this was one where I had to do a little bit of radio during it and had uh, some other games I was trying to watch as well. So excuse me if I kind of missed the boat a little bit. But I was just, it was weird to me because it seemed like the Vikings could really do whatever they wanted on offense throughout this game. I had some, you know, ill-time turnovers and stuff like that, but just by and large, I mean, Kirk Cousins averaging 10.5 yards per attempt, Dalvin Cook 4.3. I mean, not, you know, the just blow-up game we were expecting from Dalvin Cook, but the offense was just moving up and down the field, and, you know, with no interceptions, only two sacks from Cousins. We just didn't really see, you know, the type of bonehead plays I would have thought would lead to a loss against the Cowboys. So, hey, give Andy Dalton, give this Cowboys defense that has been improving credit. It was just, you know, weird to me how the Cowboys, one of those games where you look at the scoreboard and it's like, oh, really, the Cowboys like they're they're still in this thing so maybe that's just you know watching this team for the first 10 weeks of the season what that's kind of put in my head but you know when is a win is a win for the Cowboys they've now had three for this year and are squarely in the NFC East playoff race somehow I mean oh my gosh man we cannot wait to bet against whoever wins this uh, godforsaken division at some point uh sticking with the Vikings though yeah Cousins 314 yards three touchdowns he's been as efficient as ever this season he just doesn't throw that often so when we get these games you know, and he does make the most out of it. This is at the high end of his range of outcomes as a fantasy quarterback because there's never a rushing floor. And when he, we get other games where the Vikings are able to get a lead, you know, we did not see him even throw 30 times in a game. So, hey, he was great in this one. Adam Thielen, eight catches for 123 yards and two scores. Justin Jefferson, three catches, 86 yards in a score. And we've talked about this all year. Even though it's a run-first offense in Minnesota, Cousins has consistently fed Thielen and Jefferson as his top two guys ever since Jefferson jumped into the starting lineup in week three. And when Cousins having I believe the third highest average target depth in the entire league these guys are getting fancy friendly downfield shots you know unlike you know maybe Robert Woods Cooper Cup tandems of the world you know more of a less aggressive offense like that so you know continue Adam Thielen just keeps scoring touchdowns had a league high nine receiving touchdowns going in this game now he's at 11 he's gonna continue to be that you know wide receiver one we had all season and yeah, Justin Jefferson, incredible player. I just wrote a, I had a write-up on him on PFF.com last week, you know, calling him truly one of the league's best wide receivers, not best rookie wide receivers, one of the best wide receivers as always. Unfortunately, he just doesn't get the kind of high-end target volume that we wish would go with uh, that sort of talent. So he's still been, you know, just awesome in terms of counting stats too. He's going to be a weekly upside wide receiver too. Just realize, you know, in matchups where he's not able to be quite as efficient as he was here, and we could even see that, you know, target number drop further, uh, that's going to be, you know, the kind of bigger floor that we've also seen with Thielen, but I think just still, I mean, Thielen, even though it's 1A, 1B, and it's a close uh, comparison between the two, Thielen still has been that 1A throughout the season. Uh, with Dalvin Cook, yeah, 80% snaps, 27 carries, 5 targets. Wasn't, again, the massive, massive, because the, the freaking ceiling was the roof against the league's, uh, you know, worst defense in yards before contact per carry. I feel like anything under 300 yards would have been considering a disappointment for Dalvin Cook. So, ultimately, I mean, 160 total yards and a score with those 5 catches. Anyone's idea of an awesome game, and he'll continue to be. I would say the number one overall be uh, next week and beyond with the sort of concerns we have with Kamara's uh, target share with uh, Taysom Hill under center. So more continued great stuff from Dalvin Cook. He did lose a fumble and he was banged up for a second, but uh, it did seem like that was just, you know, probably more uh, a win getting knocked out of him than anything. 
with the Cowboys. Andy Dalton, 22 for 32, 203 yards and three touchdowns uh, with one pretty bad interception in, in between. So one touchdown is CeeDee Lamb, one of the catches of the year, the way this, this rookie just contorted his body, was able to snag it. So great catch there. One to Dalton Schultz, you know, a little bit closer to the goal line that ended up giving them the lead for good. And then Ezekiel Elliott on a screen when he was split out wide. So good stuff from the offense. I mean, you know, I've been kind of critical of the Cowboys offense, continuing to try to act like, uh, you know, that just runs kind of their usual system without Dak Prescott. Like, you don't have Dak Prescott now. adjust the system to fit your players that you have. But even with that, you know, it was a situation where going to Ben DiNucci and Garrett Gober, it was tough to expect, you know, any sort of uh, consistent play from this team. So getting Andy Dalton there, coming off the bye, I think we did see, you know, a better version of the Cowboys offense. Now, this Vikings defense, they've been playing better since their bye as well. But remember, this is a, you know, defense that didn't have anyone in the secondary that could hang with these guys. And we saw that again and again uh, with Amari Cooper going for six catches, 81 yards. CeeDee Lamb, uh, 34 yards. Michael Gallup, only two catches, 29 yards, but he had at least two drops uh, among his three incompletions. So, these wide receivers, these skill position guys, we know they're great. And I mean, look at the backfield too. Tony Pollard had a nice 42-yard touchdown. Cornerback made a business decision, but still, Tony Pollard, you know, you forced someone to make a business decision against you, we got to give the running back a little bit of credit for that. And Ezekiel Elliott even, uh, 21 carries, 103 yards. So Zeke is someone that, look, I understand you're making $90 million a year, anything short of elite play, you're, you're going to get, you know, hated on. But I would just say, you know, Tony Pollard is so good that I think we would be saying, you know, free Tony Pollard regardless of where he was playing uh, throughout the league. So, hey, you know, maybe he would actually be a better option than Ezekiel Elliott uh, as, you know, the Cowboys starting RB. But again, I think, you know, we're talking about truly if we just do all the running backs in the pool, I think you'd be surprised at how high uh, Tony Pollard might be, you know, even compared to the rest of the guys around the league. So, hey, Cowboys have two really, really great running backs. Is it wild that they are paying one of them $90 million and the other one nowhere close to that? Absolutely. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Ezekiel Elliott, even if we think he's overpaid, is still anyone's idea of a very, 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 good NFL running back. PFF Lily matchup stat here. So 51 wide receivers have at least 50 targets this season. Three have a PFF grade of at least 90. I'm sure you can guess Devontae Adams. The other two, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Two of PFF's top three highest grade receivers this year. Both reside in Minnesota. Good stuff. They've helped, you know, Kirk Cousins helped enable them. They've helped enable Kirk Cousins. It's wild how good this Vikings offense has still been despite losing a talent like Stephon Diggs. And again, this is not... Like, like, like we can talk about Zeke and Pollard, both complimentary. We can talk about Stephon Diggs and Justin Jefferson, both complimentary. One great wide receiver left to go to Buffalo. And now the Vikings have another great wide receiver to replace him. Final matchup of the podcast, we have the Chiefs defeat the Raiders 35-231 Sunday night game that it looked like it was going to be Derek Carr's, you know, just great moment. We've been hyping him up, you know, on this podcast throughout the year because he's been playing great ball and he had another great game tonight. But uh, Mahomes and them, when they went down the fourth and they scored, got, you know, this ultimate memeable moment from Carr, which was this pissed off look on the sideline. You could just see it. He goes downfield and scores and we get this, you know, pissed off Derek Carr face meme thing. We could always go back to, well, all of a sudden he's just icing his veins killer and to his credit he brought the Raiders down he you know got him to the one yard line Jason Witten had a false start and then Carr goes back to Jason Witten from the one yard line and he scores a touchdown to give him the lead but too much time for Patrick Mahomes he drove the Chiefs right down the field and ended up finding Travis Kelsey for a game winning touchdown with under 30 seconds remaining so again 
Truly an awesome game from Derek Carr. I mean, his only interception was on the final, final drive of the game where he just try, had to try to make anything happen. 275 yards, three touchdowns through the air. Had a deep drop by Aguilar. Had, I mean, you know, he had the touchdown to Witten to finish off that drive. But, you know, Aguilar arguably made this just ridiculous one-handed catch in the end zone. The announcers didn't really talk about it uh, all that much. But, you know, it seemed like something that could have been reviewed. It looked like the ball probably at the ground. But truly wild catch by Aguilar almost uh, in a game where he had another drop or two. So it would have been wild see that happen but either way drew a defensive pass interference so you know Carr kept on deep and we know I was telling you guys before this since they got Henry Ruggs back in week five I haven't checked the stat after this game but I imagine it's still pretty close among like 39 qualified quarterbacks Derek Carr was ninth in average target depth so with Henry Ruggs this year even though somehow Henry Ruggs had just one target in this game and it was a check down for five yards I think just having him on the field and Nelson Aguilar uh, to some extent has just you know helped get Carr to start throwing the ball downfield uh, as I so eloquently put it on Twitter on Twitter I must say uh, you know Derek Carr learning this kind of mid-career improvement finest mid-career improvement since Happy Gilmore learned how to putt back in the day so so, yeah, good stuff there. I mean, Aguilar caught six six balls, 88 yards, and had to score. Darren Waller caught all seven of his terrorists for 88 yards and a score. Darren Waller just such a beast. I mean, Collinsworth was talking about on the podcast, like, how fast he might run. He was projecting maybe under 4.4 seconds. A guy his size, that is absolutely scary stuff, everyone. So, good stuff from this receiving room. Hunter Renfro, 37 yards, and that's about it from there. Josh Jacobs has 17 carries, 55 yards, and a score. I took some of these snap counts in mid-fourth quarter, so we'll get the you know realistic ones on, on Monday. But 60% snaps working ahead of Devontae Booker with Jalen Richard uh, sideline with a chest injury. Yeah, you know, look, they give Jacobs usually two, three series, bring Booker in for one. Obviously, Jacobs is the lead guy. He's the best running back on the Raiders. They continue to treat him as such. So not, not as much pass game work as we prefer, as always, you know, with Jacobs. And he's more than capable of doing it. And truly, he he got it looked like he got hurt. It looked like he hurt his shoulder in the fourth quarter. He goes out for like a play, comes back in, picks up, you know, the blitzer coming up the middle and gives car time on a crucial third down uh, to throw down the middle. So you know, some of these running backs, man, they are a different breed when you got to just take that sort of physical uh, down to down punishment and then go in, you know, on something like a pass down and stick your head in there with a the blitzing linebacker trying to take your head off, too. So, you know, another, you know, solid game from Jacobs. I know he only averaged 3.2 yards per carry, but just realize this dude as tough as they come playing his rookie year you know with that broken shoulder the whole way Josh Jacobs man that dude is a stud uh, with the Chiefs yeah I mean look Patrick Mahomes 348 yards two touchdowns and a pick it was harder for them than it's, it probably should have been just that we've been expecting it to be because he's so good you know some of the cool things I've seen uh some of my much smarter colleagues and myself do, uh, including PFF Moo, is just break, break down the idea that Mahomes, he still has, you know, peaks and valleys like anyone else, but Mahomes' valleys, like, are of an average game for most quarterbacks. Like, even guys like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, they have a terrible game from time to time. You know, Rodgers versus the Buccaneers, Russell Wilson versus the Rams. Mahomes, truly, I think in terms of it was, like, a total game EPA, like, he just has not had a below average game his entire career. So this was, like, the best the Raiders could have hoped to catch Mahomes and it just still was not enough. He chipped in 16 yards on the ground. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, 14 carries, 6-9 yards, and two touchdowns while playing 53% of the offensive snaps. Uh, was also in the scoring department. Le'Veon Bell was able to find the end zone towards the end of the game as well. So 
Look, offense goes through Mahomes. He's going to throw his heart's desire when he wants and when he's going to do that. It's going to go through Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Tyreek had 11 catches, 102 yards in the score. Kelsey, 8 catches, 127 yards in the score. Combined 24 targets. So we had a Byron Pringle get injured with an ankle injury. Miko Hardman, you know, wasn't able to practice uh, throughout most of the last two weeks due to COVID. So Demarcus Robinson was kind of the third featured guy. That would be Sammy Watkins if he can ever get back healthy. He's dealing with a calf injury in addition to the hamstring issue that kept him on injury reserve. Uh, for so long but yeah just uh, you know just realize that behind Kelsey and Tyreek it's gonna be tough to expect any sort of consistent involvement but it was good to see Clyde you know really kind of pave his way out from Le'Veon's shadow uh, in this one he's not gonna be that top five top six guy we were hoping for but uh, you know Clyde Clyde Edwards-Hilaire RB2 season uh, could be on the horizon. Uh, quick PFF Lily matchup stat here. This one's hard for me to do because I pop into the podcast right after the game's over, so I don't have a ton of research. But going into Sunday night, this one kind of surprised me. Mahomes is one of just four QBs with 60% of their attempts targeting an open or wide open receiver as deemed by PFF. So, you know, we talked about this where he is a gunslinger in the sense that he knows that he can make any throw on the field, and we've seen him make pretty much any throw on the field. But the Chiefs offense is so smart, and Mahomes is so smart, and, the, and you know, just Kelsey and Hill, and the players are so talented. Mahomes doesn't even have to make these sort of tight window throws that we see him do from time to time, but just realize like there's a whole lot of easy yards being picked up in Kansas City as well. And that's what has made them the class of the league and so unfair over these past two years. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Quick note about the schedule this week. I hope everyone has a happy holidays, you know, a great Thanksgiving. I know I will. It's my opinion, the best holiday of the year, but just because I understand everyone's going to be, you know, with their families on Thanksgiving, we are not doing the usual guest episode that comes out on Thursday. So, you know, this one's, you listen to this on a Monday, probably, you know, we still have our Tuesday episode, which is a breakdown of Monday Night Football and a look at some waiver wire stuff. We'll have the Wednesday episode with myself and Joy McFarlane breaking down every game. And then we'll have a Friday episode that's going to be out around noon, where I'm going to go through the Thanksgiving games and also look at some injuries ahead. So we'll still have four out of the five normal podcasts, but I think everyone focusing on Thanksgiving and stuff does make too much sense to try to you know bang down my producer's walls too much and i get that thursday episode out so i am doing some extra content to try to make up for it i know you know if you haven't played thanksgiving dfs it is truly a great time and you know, i'm gonna come out with an article on wednesday to help explain that and i'm gonna do a live stream on uh, the pff instagram page on thanksgiving morning about 11 a.m uh, for 30 minutes to help go through some of the you know better dfs players with that so still trying to keep you guys all happy with the content but just uh, you know turning things back a little bit uh, for the holidays and then we'll be back to your regularly scheduled programming in week 13 and beyond. So thank you again, everybody. You know, can't stress enough how much I appreciate all the support and you guys all listening to this podcast. I'm Ian Hardis. You can find me on Twitter at iHardis, I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. And until next time, take care, everybody.